0: We are back in 1 Samuel again together this morning. Um, If you remember, uh, God has been uh, preparing his people for the coming king uh, through his appointed prophet Samuel. Uh, We've seen that the people have rejected God as being their king. They wanted a king over them, uh, a king like the the other nations. Um, And we saw last week that The people, um, instead of seeking the king and deliverer that God has chosen, and choosing to seek the king and deliverer that they have chosen, uh, we've already we saw that that is going to be a huge disappointment for them. uh, That Saul is not going to turn out to be the kind of king they expected. Uh, But that kind of leaves a, a lingering question: What about God, the true king? Is it is it that easy? To get rid of him. So we'll look at that this morning. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 10, beginning in verse 17, and we're going to go all the way through uh, the end of chapter 11. So if you would follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. Now Samuel called the people together to Yahweh at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, I brought you. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before Yahweh by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the uh, Matrites was taken by lot, and Saul the son of Kish was taken by lot. But when they sought him, they couldn't; he could not be found. So they inquired again of Yahweh, "Is there a man still to come?" And Yahweh said, "Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage." Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people. Do you see him whom Yahweh has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before Yahweh. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. Saul also uh, went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts had uh, God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days, respite that we may send messengers through all throughout all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, What's wrong with the people? That they are weeping. So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of Yahweh fell upon the people, and they came out as a man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have salvation. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came in the midst of the camp in the morning, watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Saul shall reign over us? Or it's that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today Yahweh has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go up to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before Yahweh in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before Yahweh, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. We thank you that as our, our God and our king, you continue to rule over us and change us through your word. And we pray that you would Give us ears to hear what you have to say to your people today, uh, that we would see more and more uh, your goodness, your grace, your faithfulness to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Is it that easy for God's covenant people to get rid of him? Uh, what we're going to see in this passage this morning is that it's, it's not. You can't just get rid of God, the king. Notice what happens here. Notice how we see that God still continues to discipline his people as king. Uh, Notice in verse 17 through uh, 24. Now Samuel called the people together to Yahweh at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt. And I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before Yahweh by your tribes and by your thousands. Uh, Here, uh, God is calling his people into his presence through the prophet Samuel. It is God who is speaking. And the the form of this this speech that is given actually takes the form of a a judgment speech where the people are uh, called out and charged by God for their unfaithfulness. We see that there in verses uh, 17 and following uh, of recounting the faithfulness of the Lord and in the face of that faithfulness, the people rejecting him as their king but notice what is happening here. God is still ruling his people. God is still exercising his kingship over his people. And here he is disciplining his people as king. They can't take him off the throne that easily. They can't get rid of the one true king. Notice the consequence that they that God gives him. Uh, this it says, now therefore present yourselves before Yahweh by your tribes and by your thousands. Now, this same pattern follows in other places in scripture. Now the people are getting ready to get their consequence. And what is the consequence? Well, we see in verses 20 and following that it's that Saul becomes their king. You want to reject Yahweh as your king? Well, you can't do that. <laughs> he will still be your king, but he is going to judge you By giving you what you want, by giving them the king they wanted. And notice the consequence that they're receiving for this. Look at this king. The lot falls to Saul. He's the one who's chosen. But notice in verse 21, when they sought him, he couldn't be found. So they had to go back to God and ask God again, where is our king? It's like they can't escape their need for God. We will reject you as being our king, but we can't find our king right now. Can you help us? He's nowhere to be found. Where is he? He's hiding in the luggage. You want a king? You want a king like the nations? You want to select him according to the way the nations select him? Here, I'm giving you what you want. He's a coward. He's hiding. Go find him. Go drag him out from the luggage like you have to move around your idols and set him before you. You can even hear almost Samuel's mocking in verse 24. Uh, when they In 23 and 24, they, he stood among the people. He was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Again, accounting for that outward appearance. And then in 24, and Samuel said, Do you see him whom Yahweh has chosen? There's none like him among the people. This giant man who is scared and does nothing. And the people shouted, long live the king but even look after that how he responds we continue to see these things it's showing still his character after this it tells us that in 26 that saul goes home to his place in gibeah does he respond by going forward at this point and going and attacking the philistines no no he doesn't in fact it shows up again in verse 5 what does saul go home and do to take care of the Philistines? No, in verse 5 of chapter 11, it tells us he goes back to farming with his oxen. God here, as king, is judging his people by giving them what they want, that they would experience their consequences. It's very similar to uh, the movie, Aladdin, where Jafar, the, uh, the vizier, the counselor of, uh, of the king, of the shah, Uh, continues to hunger for power. And as he finally takes control and he gets more and more power as the genie is granting him wishes at the end, Aladdin understands and knows his undoing. And his undoing is to give Jafar exactly what he wants. The judgment, the consequences, the way to put an end to Jafar, And to punish him is to give him exactly what he wants by luring him with even more power. He says, you only have your power because the genie gave it to you. You should want to be a genie. And so Jafar wishes to be the most powerful genie in the world. And immediately he has cosmic, infinite powers. And then the bracelets chomp on his wrists but he's in an itty bitty living space and it sucks him right down into the lamp where he is imprisoned. Imprisoned because of his longing for his own desires. And here we see this same thing that God is judging his people by giving them a king like the nations. It's not going to turn out right. They were designed to be ruled and reigned by the one living and true God and the king that he chooses. Notice the people's response to this judgment. Some of them in verse 24 say, Long live the king! Others in verse uh, 27, these worthless fellows say, How can this man save us? And they despised him. Both of these responses are inappropriate. In in light of God's judgment, uh, there should have been repentance. Repentance. Repentance for rejecting God as king. Uh, And then these worthless fellows, instead of submitting to God's discipline, they're rejecting the one that God has given to them. Uh, This is the opposite of how we saw Eli responding to God's judgment. God's judgment upon the house of Eli in chapter 3, verse 18. Eli uh, responds, like this. He says, it is Yahweh. Let him do what seems good to him. But here, these worthless fellows do not respond in this way. They still refuse, even in the midst of God exercising his kingship through his discipline of his people by giving them the king that they want, they reject it. What about you? What about me? How do we respond to the discipline of our king? For wise, if we have ears to hear, if we're learning from the scriptures, what we will see here is that we should be those who, when we encounter the discipline of the Lord, we should recognize it as his grace and his favor to us, that he's treating us like his sons, and we should humble ourselves before God's discipline, repent, and turn to him. We should accept that discipline, submitting to it, and trusting that our God is doing what is best. He is king, and he is working out his purposes. Um, uh, Sometimes we may be angry at God for not answering our prayers. Sometimes we may be excited when he does answer our prayers, but as we're seeing here, sometimes God's answered prayers could be his judgment on us. If our Hearts are not responding and seeking him with and in accordance to his word. But also, we continue to to go on. God is still king. He's still ruling and reigning regardless of who is on the throne. Not only does he continue to discipline his people as king, but he continues to rule his people by his word. Look in chapter 10, verse 25. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship. And he wrote them in a book and laid it up before Yahweh. Here, uh, this is this instruction is very, the, the language it's used is very similar to the language it's used when Samuel was warning them of the way that this king would, uh, would carry out his, uh, his rule Before them in in chapter 9, when he was talking about the ways of the king that shall reign over them and how he will operate and and rule. And here he's uh, explaining in the same way, but is governing that according to the word of God, the rights and the duties of kingship. Regardless of who's on the throne, it must be done according to and in submission to God's word. God is still the king. No matter who is on your throne, Yahweh still rules. He still reigns, and as his people, we must submit to his word. As the king, we must submit to God's word. Even as you, we look back in Deuteronomy 17, where it outlines the, the, the way that a king is to, 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 to live and rule over the people of God, it's very clear that he must always be in submission to understanding, following, and knowing God's word. You see, it's inescapable. As God's people, uh, we may turn our hearts to him, from him. We may reject him. We may rebel at times, but God is still king. He still rules. His word still applies in our lives, and he still rules his people by his word. And by the way, we will need to answer for how we respond to this word what about us are we submitting ourselves to the word of our king it's clear here it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what position of authority you have you must always live under submission of the true king there is only one lord and king of the church one Lord and King of the family, one Lord and King of the world. And it is King Jesus. Are we submitting ourselves to him? Uh, we've just ordained and installed leaders here at our church. This is something that every single one of us elders need to take to heart. And Pat is our deacon. That God is the one who rules his people by his word. And if we are to carry out our responsibilities rightly and appropriately, then the way that we lead and shepherd this congregation, the way that we direct this people, the way that we guide and feed and care for them will always and only be according to the word of God. Fathers, if you are a single mother, mother, who are head of your household, who are ruling and Overseeing, shepherding, leading your family? Is the word of God ruling in your house? What rules the day? Is it God's word, his priorities? Or is it the traditions of men? Religious rules and laws that you or others have made up? Is it the values and views and priorities of the world? We must realize that No matter who or what God has granted us authority over, he still rules and reigns. And we are all to submit ourselves to the rule and reign of God who rules and reigns over his people through his word. He continues to discipline his people as king. He continues to rule his people through his word. And he continues to deliver his people by his power. Remember what the... The people said they want a king who will battle for them and go out for them and fight their their wars and deliver them. Notice what God says about himself. In verse 18, I brought Israel up out of Egypt. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. Today you've rejected your God. And notice how he describes himself. Your God who saves you from all your calamities and distresses. That is who he is, a delivering, saving God, one who delivers from calamities, one who saves from distresses. Yet you have said, set a king over us. We don't want him. It's not going to be that easy. God's not going to abandon his covenant purposes and his people like that. He's not going to allow us to mess and make a wreck over it. Notice, he continues to deliver his people. verse 11 and following, even though Saul is still yet to do anything, another enemy raises its head, Nahash, the Ammonite. Notice the people are, are going about and they are looking for a savior. They say, give us seven days respite that we may send messengers throughout all the territory of Israel. Then if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. They're looking for a savior. And who do they come to? They come to Saul, the king, the one that they've trusted themselves to be their savior. What have we seen of Saul so far? He's incapable of delivering them. But does Yahweh let his people flounder? No. No. Notice what happens in verse 8. They tell Saul about what happens, and in verse 6, it says this, the Spirit of God rushed upon him when he heard these words. And it goes on, and what, what is the result? In verse 11, And in the next day, Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together." God is still exercising his power to deliver his people. He's still the king. He brings victory. In fact, Saul actually recognizes this as the first thing he's rightly seen in the book so far in verse 13. No man shall be put to death today, for today Yahweh has worked salvation in Israel. You said you wanted another king. But notice who is still the one working on your behalf in the midst of your unfaithfulness, in the midst of your sin, in the midst of your rebellion. God is actively working, protecting, defending, and delivering his people. What about us? Are we those who are acknowledging the deliverance of our King. Do you recognize the work of God in your life? Are you quick when you experience success in whatever vocation you're in or whatever you're working, healing that comes about, deliverance that comes about? Are we quick to recognize that God is the one who is saving us from our calamities? God is the one who is delivering us from our distresses? Or are we focusing on ourselves? Are we focusing on others? Even though the people were trusting and depending on Saul, who is the one who worked? When you and I depend and trust on false gods and false saviors, and we happen to experience salvation and delivery, do you know who it is that's actually been at work? It's been God, that's clear here. This as well should call us to humble ourselves, To give him glory at any time, in the difficult times, in the the times of success, repenting and acknowledging that our hearts have been gone elsewhere, but he and his kindness and his mercy has still seemed fit to save us when we did not even deserve it. And then turn and flee to him. Are we doing that? Are we fleeing to the one? who exercises his hand on behalf of his people? Are we fleeing to the one, the only one who can save us from our calamities, who can deliver us from our distresses, who can work salvation for us? Do we not recognize who our king is, his character, his goodness? He continues to discipline his people as king. He continues to rule his people by his word as king. He continues to deliver his people by his power as king. And lastly, He continues to accept his people by his grace. Notice in verses 14 and 15, Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before Yahweh and Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before Yahweh, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Here Saul is finally being uh, in a more formal way installed as king because he's actually demonstrated some of this uh, ability to lead the people through the work of of God, the Spirit of God on his behalf in chapter 11. Uh, But notice what the result is. That even though the people have rejected God as their king, even though they've chosen to look and hope in another savior and deliverer, They come here before the Lord and they sacrifice peace offerings. You don't know if you remember from our time in Leviticus, peace offerings were one of the few sacrifices that the people actually got to partake of and eat themselves. It was a picture not just of atonement, but of fellowship. Fellowship with God, where he is preparing an offering for you to eat from his table to eat in his presence, to experience reconciliation and a restored relationship with him. We're going to look more in detail at uh, the results and details around this, but notice what is happening here. That even in the face of this, God receives those who come to him rightly, even in the midst of their rebellion, with renewed grace, mercy, and allowing them to enter into his presence and feast and fellowship with him. How, how is this possible? It's only because our gracious king provides a way for our rebellion to be dealt with that we receive not through good works, but by trusting and relying on his provision and faith. All, all of this, hopefully you can see, is pointing to Jesus. The true king who would come the true king who continues to rule his people by his word, who continues to deliver his people by his power, who continues to accept his people by his grace and discipline his people as their king. How does this occur? It's because this king would come and give himself. We reject him, yet he becomes rejected for us in order that we might be brought into his presence, that we might be accepted not as rebels and those who commit treason, but as beloved sons and daughters. Who is this king? What kind of grace is it that he extends and shows us? Are we responding rightly to this grace that has been extended to us, or are we taking advantage of it? There's a book that We've read a lot to our kids called The Runaway Bunny by Margaret Wise Brown. And then this bunny comes up with all these scenarios where he tells his mom that he's going to leave and run away from her. He became a sailboat. He would sail away. And she says, well, then I would become the wind and I'd blow you right where I want you to go, right back to me. And it goes on and on and on. And she comes up with something every time where she's pursuing him where she's going after him, where he's not going to get away, and she's bringing him back. And in the end, the conclusion that a little bunny comes to is this, well, shucks, I might as well just stay here and be your little bunny. And she says, have a carrot. Is that not exactly what we see here? And should that not be our response when we see the pursuit of our God, where we see that he continues to exercise his kingship in such a gracious, compassionate way? That our response should be, well, if this is going to be the case, I might as well just stay here and be his servant. I might as well just stay here and be his child. And when we respond like that, God says, yes, go ahead. Have a carrot. Actually, have something better. Have me. Have food from my table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are a good and gracious and sovereign King. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us. Thank you for showing us such grace. Amen.